Well, open your Bibles to Revelation 20 tonight. And just as an intro, I hope, I pray, I've prayed for you today. I've prayed just before I stepped in the pulpit. If you are here tonight and you are outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, these are probably some of the most fearful and frightening verses in all of the Bible. We have come to the most well-known and, I would argue, the most ominous passages in, in Revelation, and it is the scene of the great white throne judgment. Just to note the kindness of God and how everything, He just weaves everything together, we were listening this morning about injustice on the earth, and how there is a judgment that's coming, and here is that, is that judgment. The, what was echoed this morning in uh, the uh, book of Acts, 17th chapter, that God has appointed a day in which He'll judge mankind, Revelation now describes that, that, that day. It, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11 through 15, which is what we're going to look at tonight, takes us inside of the very throne room where we get to sit as a spectator to the most frightening moment in human existence. I can vividly remember going uh, to an end times drama in a small church on Red House Hill in Virginia, uh, West Virginia. And uh, we were going up there on a on a Sunday night, and the whole evening was a was an evangelistic drama, and it was acting out Revelation chapter twenty verses eleven through through fifteen. And um, I would not say that everything that was done was biblically accurate. There was a, a guy dressed up as the devil there, and and he was laughing in the corner. There was a lot of drama. But, but I have never forgotten the, the, the scene in whenever they read, verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, that there was the back doors of the sanctuary opened up and in walked a man in a sailor outfit dripping wet from head to toe. And on the screen behind where, where the, the, the narrator was standing, there was a, there was a picture of a, of an ocean and, I just remember seeing this guy dripping wet walking down the the uh, the aisle of the uh, of the church and and wet he filed before the 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 judge and I thought about what John must be thinking or feeling as he sees this scene not acted out in a, in an end times drama but but being revealed by by, by God Himself. Uh, I would say the winds of John's emotions must have, have been blowing at, at hurricane force in these last few chapters of, of Revelation. The, he's just seen chapter 19, which ends with the battle of, of Armageddon. The battle is, is brought as a result of the second coming of, of Christ. So you have the marriage supper of the Lamb and the second coming of Christ. Um, just jubilation and, and, and wonder and awe, and then he, he sees the, the great battle that takes place. And 
that ends with two or three of the members of the unholy trinity, the Antichrist and the false prophet being thrown into the lake of fire. His, his heart then must have soared again as he received the vision of Revelation 20 of the, the millennial kingdom of our Lord. When he was seeing that, he likely sang the songs of Zion to himself. Remembered Isaiah 2-3, which, which says the capital of the kingdom will be Jerusalem. His mind may have went to Isaiah 2-4, which says that, that in that kingdom there will be no war in it. Righteousness will reign according to Isaiah 11. And of course, every Jewish boy would have known Isaiah 11-9, which is a summary of the blessings of the kingdom that John is now seeing in this vision. There, Isaiah 11-9, there will, uh, there will be no hurt, nor Anything to destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. John had sung Psalm 72 that describes the result that the, the heavenly king will bring whenever he, whenever he comes. The results of, of righteousness, abundant peace, a flourishing earth, and the knowledge of the Lord everywhere, and the end of the devil. Now, if that won't make your, your soul sore, I don't know what, what would. And John saw that Christ will reign with absolute power over all of the earth. And in his kingdom, it will, it will be what God intended in Eden, even, even better. What, what Adam failed to accomplish, the Lord Jesus Christ he will. Israel will be rejoined to God and transformed from the unfaithful wife to one who loves and obeys her husband, and the Gentiles will share in the blessings of peace and joy and prosperity for a thousand years. But as high as he was flying in the first part of Revelation 20, when his eyes come to verse 11, it, 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 he has to come crashing to the ground. It's, it probably took his breath. Let's read what John sees in verse 11 through 15, and then we'll walk through it. John says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, or sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Three times the lake of fire is mentioned in the sentencing that John sees. You're going to have to click it there, Tim. I don't have any, uh, any power there. Thank you. This section of Scripture doesn't need a whole lot of flash or flare. And so what John sees here is the great white throne judgment. 
There is the judgment tribunal being established in verse 11. There's the wicked dead being evaluated in verses 12 through 13. And then there's the sentence being executed in verse 14 and 15. And after this first glimpse, John sees a tribunal similar to the one that I... uh, Ecclesiastes told us about this morning, a judgment tribunal. A judgment tribunal. Thank you. There you go. Look, if you would, at verse 11. And then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose presence heaven and earth fled away, and no place was, was found for them. And John sees a judgment throne. He sees a tribunal and he sees three things. He sees a pure throne. He sees a majestic judge. And then he sees a vanishing creation. Now, Revelation has mentioned many thrones all through the Bible. Over 30 times it's talked about a throne to be exact. John passed through an open door in heaven in chapter 4, verse 2, and he sees a throne in, in heaven. In chapter 5, John saw Christ standing in the center of the throne. He has seen thrones on the earth, which human kings sat on it. We just saw thrones were given to the saints to rule and reign with Christ in the kingdom in Revelation 20 and verse 4. But this throne is different. It's different from any throne that John has ever seen before, and he calls it a great white throne throne. He says it's great. It's it's megas. It's something that's large or loud. That's what the word means. And he he's used it before when he talked about a loud voice. He, he used this adjective when he talked about the great tribulation. He used this word when he talked about a huge sword. He used this word. The, the throne that John sees is both immense and it's also imposing. It's it's a, it's a great throne. And it's also a white throne, he says, which, which represents its, its purity. This also has been used in the, in the book of Revelation. You remember the vision that John sees in Revelation chapter 1 of the Lord Jesus Christ, how Jesus is presented? He's presented with white hair in verse 14 of chapter 1. He sits on a white cloud in chapter 14, verse 14. He returns on a white horse, doesn't he? In Revelation 19.11. And all of that's pointing to the, to the lack of corruption in Christ. He is, he's pure. He's, he's untainted. He's, he's perfect. It's even the description of the robes that we get. Robes of righteousness that, that, that are white like, like linen. We've been purified by the, by the blood of the, of, of the Lamb. And now this same Jesus is going to sit upon a white throne. Listen to Daniel chapter 7, verse 9 through 10, likely foretelling this event. Daniel says, I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Watch this. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames, Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing, and 
coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending to him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were opened. White means that this throne where judgment is about to take place, this judgment will be pure. It will be imperfect. As we said this morning, God has established the courts on the earth to deal with the to deal with the fall, to dispense justice. But the times that we live in, they're they're far from from pure, far from far from perfect. And in the place of justice there's wickedness and the tool we're given to help us live wisely with those type of things going around us when we groan under that reality is to remember this throne. The Lord's throne is great and it is, it is white. And this great white throne will dispense perfect justice because God is the one who is seated upon it. Look at what else John sees. The second thing that, that John sees. He sees a majestic judge. He sees a throne. And it's not empty, but in its seat is him who sat upon it. Now, I want you to notice that John doesn't identify the person by name because he doesn't have to. You don't have to guess who this is. John has made it abundantly clear who this is. In fact, he's told us who this is going to be set, who's going to be sitting on this throne all of Revelation from chapter four to chapter five, all the way through everything that's been happening tells us who this person is that's seated on the, on the throne. Turn back, if you would, to Revelation chapter 5. Let me show you very clearly why John doesn't have to name the person who is seated upon this, this throne. Revelation chapter, chapter 5. This is the the throne room of God. And in the throne room of God, in verse 1, John says, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written, a scroll inside and on the back. It was sealed up with, with seven seals. So John sees the sees into the throne room of God, and there was a scroll in the right hand of the outstretched arm of God. And on the same side of the throne... The Lord Jesus Christ was there. Look at verse 6. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the, the earth. And look at verse 7. And he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And we've seen this scene before. God, from the throne, takes up the scroll, declaring it's time to open it. And the angel requests a person come forth and present their credentials to be able to, to, to transfer. So this transfer can, can take place and the document can be read. And there's that, um, that, that, that scene that, that we love where there's silence in heaven, and no one is found worthy. And then the angel says, Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, he is, he is worthy. And that person who is worthy is the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 7, he comes and takes the scroll out of the right hand of him, of him who, sat on the, uh, sit, who sits on the throne, 
and worship takes place. And all of heaven sings a new song. Look at what they say in verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And what have you done with them? You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Well, this song says that, that declares that Jesus, because of his work, which made him worthy, he purchased a people for himself out of the whole earth. And he's also earned the right to judge the ones that are not part of that group. Look, if you would, at verse 11. Notice there's something else besides this new song. Then I looked and I heard a voice of many angels around the throne of the living creatures and the elders. And a number of them was myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing in every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea, everyone declares the same thing. And I heard, they, I heard them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, the blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever. Because of Christ's work on the cross, he's worthy. He's worthy to take the scroll. He's worthy to purchase the people. And with that scroll, he begins to bring judgment. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6, the very next verse. Then I saw the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice, Come. The Lamb breaks the first seal, meaning he is executing judgment. And then he breaks another one, and then he breaks another one, and he breaks another one. And each time he unfurls the scroll, the scroll is, is, is opened enough to read what's written there. And when that is written, uh, read as a declaration judgment, then that happens on the earth. And then another seal. And that's read, and then judgment takes place. And the rest of the book of Revelation is the Lamb unfurling the scroll so the judgment can be read. And now, in Revelation chapter 20, at the great white throne, we've come to the end of the scroll, and the final judgment is taking place, and Christ Himself is seated over it. And He takes dominion as that judge. It's exactly what John chapter 5 says. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son. Why does the Son have all judgment? Because of the work that He accomplished, because He is worthy. That's why the Son has all judgment. And when the last words of the scroll are read, and this earth and all of creation will melt away, making way for a new heaven and a new earth. Turn back to Revelation chapter 20. And I'll show you what John sees next. Verse 11 again. 
John saw a great white throne. It's a throne like no other. It's not like any throne that he's, he's seen so far. From this throne is perfect righteousness, perfect judgment. And the one who is sitting upon it is the, the judge, the Lord Jesus himself. And look at what else it says. From whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. Now, what does that mean? Well, the throne that John sees and the one sitting on it is not on the earth. And it's not in heaven. We we can tell because it says that they fled away. Heaven and earth fled away. And no place was found for them anymore. So whatever whatever is happening here, wherever this judgment is, it's not on earth, it's not in heaven. And because of the throne, because of what's happening on the throne, heaven and earth go away, and there's no place found for them again. This is a glorious scene. It's what we have been waiting for. (laughs) This is what is described in Romans chapter 8. This is what Isaiah 51, 6 and 2 Peter 3 have foretold. The timing of this scene is at the end of the, of the judgment on the earth, at the end of the millennial kingdom. This is a judgment scene. And the Bible tells us not only will the wicked be, be judged, but the corrupted creation will also be decreated. And room will be made for a new heaven and a new earth. And that's exactly what John sees in this verse here. Turn with me, if you would, back to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to make you work a little bit tonight. I'm going to show you that's exactly what this says. The Bible proves itself over and over. Heaven and earth flee away. They, they melt away. They disappear. They dissipate. And there's no place found for them because of the one that's sitting upon this specific throne. And look at verse 19 of Romans 8. We, I think we read this when we were in Ecclesiastes. The Apostle Paul is talking about the sufferings of, of the fallen world, what we experience. And he says in verse, 19, uh, verse 18, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation, heaven and earth, waits eagerly for the revealing of the, of the sons of God. There, there's a moment when the sons of God will be revealed, when, when the redeemed are, are, going to be, are going to be resurrected. And the end's going to come. Redemption's going to come. Full redemption's going to come. And creation is longing for that day. Look at verse 20. For creation was subjected to futility, that's the curse, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. God subjected all of creation to the curse, but he did so in hope. In hope of what? In hope of a coming day of a new heaven and a new earth. That the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers and and the pains of childbirth together until now. Not only this, but we 
ourselves also. And the sons of God have just, they've just been revealed in Revelation 20, verse 5, haven't they? The redemption of our bodies has taken place at the first resurrection. That's what Revelation 20, verse 5 says. You will be resurrected. And that's the sons of God being revealed. And, and now comes the release of the curse and, and over creation. And how exactly will that, will that happen? How exactly will that happen? Second Peter chapter 3 tells us how that will happen. But the day of the Lord will, will come like a thief in, in which the heavens will, will pass away. They'll, they'll flee away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with a, with a, an intense heat and, and the earth and, and its works will be, will be burned up. Isaiah 51 verse 6 says, Lift up your eyes to the sky and look to the earth beneath, for the, for the sky will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not wane. And in Revelation 20, you can turn back there, here it is. Heaven and earth that's been corrupted by the fall will melt away at the very presence of Christ on His throne and it will be no more. You want more proof? Look at verse 1 of Revelation 21, the very first thing that John sees right after the great white throne. Then I saw a what? A new heaven and a new earth. Why? For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there is no longer any sea. And he also sees a holy city coming down. This is when the, the first creation disappears and dissipates. And right here it is when that happens. And with everything ready, John now sees the, the judgment. He now sees the wicked dead being evaluated all the dead and all their deeds. I want you to look at verse 12, if you would. And I saw the, the dead. I saw a great white throne. I saw one who sat on it. And I saw creation melt away. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Now, there uh, some people question whether verse 12 describes the judgment of the righteous and verse 13 describes the judgment of the wicked. Because verse 12 mentions the book of life. Look at verse 12 again. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before the throne. And it mentions the book of life. And so some will, will get confused and say, well, this, is, this must be because the book of life is being opened that this must be the righteous. And look at verse 13. This must be the wicked. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and the grave, or Hades, gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one according to their, to their deeds. But Revelation chapter uh, uh, 20, verse 4, verse 4 has already described the time when the righteous dead are being 
resurrected. Look at verse 4. I referenced this earlier, but I'm going to make you look at it, at it now. Look at the end of verse 4 of Revelation 20. Those did not receive the mark on their forehead, on their head, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And look at verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection, the first resurrection, those who came to life. And you say, well, maybe the judgment came after the resurrection. Well, they're not going to reign with Christ without being judged before the Bema seat, because part of the reward is reigning with, with Christ. So here's the resurrection, and here's the reign with the Lord Jesus, clearly indicating that judgment has already come. And this is the first resurrection. So the, the resurrection of the righteous and the judgment of the righteous has already taken place. And look at verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these things, the second death, which is the great white throne, it has no power. And they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they'll reign with Him for a thousand years. To those who have been in this, raised in this resurrection, the second death has no power. And now look at how this judgment is described in verse 14. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. This is not the judgment of the righteous. John sees the wicked who are suffering in hell, raised and then evaluated. This is the only time since they have died that they will receive any kind of relief. The Bible describes... A wonderful blessing for us. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? And yet those who die outside of Christ go to a place called hell, described in Luke 16, described other places, which is a place of fire and, and torment. But it's not the lake of fire. Because right here in verse 14, death and hell, or Hades, is thrown into the, thrown into the lake of fire. And so... The wicked dead go to that place and they're tormented. And the only time that they're not tormented is whenever they're raised to stand before the great white throne and wait for the proof of their judgment before they're finally cast into the place of eternal damnation. This judgment includes all of the dead, small and great. Look at verse 12. I saw the dead, great and Small phrase means that it doesn't matter who you are. Everyone will stand there. One commentator said those appearing before the throne come from all walks of life and all degrees of greatness. That's what that means. And they're standing. Meaning that they're about to be sentenced. You've seen a courtroom scene. You're sitting there with your lawyer and the case is being argued. And right before the sentence is revealed, all rise... And you stand, and here they are standing, and the sentence is about to be, is about to be revealed. It's as Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed unto man to die, and then the judgment, and here it is. And their judgment is based on the books that were, that were opened. All the dead and all the deeds. Now notice that there are two records that are consulted here. Verse 12. 
They're standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened. Books, plural, and the book, the book of life, singular. The book of life contains the name of all of the redeemed. We, we know that. It's the Lamb's book of, of life. And those who are in it are the ones that were purchased by the Lamb from every tongue, tribe, and nation of chapter 5. Jesus knows exactly who that book is, who, who's in that book. He knew who was in that book whenever He went to the cross and died. He knew who was going to be in that book before the foundation of the world. He was slain before the, the foundation of the world. It's His book. Those that are in that book are His. And, and those that are in that book that are His have life. It's the Lamb's book of life. Not just physical life, but eternal life. There's that book, singular, but then there are other books. And those books, those other books contain all of their deeds and their works. All of the dead that's standing before the throne, about to be sentenced... Look at what it says. The dead were judged, in verse 12, from the things that were written in the books, plural, according to their deeds. What's written in these books? Something that you and I don't ever want anybody else to read or know about. And here it's going to be read publicly before God and and the angels and the redeemed. It's the sum total of a person's life. It's all their actions, all their inactions, all their deeds, all the motives behind the deeds that, that they did, all the thoughts and intents of their, of their hearts. This is the moment when the Bible tells us that what you speak in secret will be shouted from the housetop. All of your dealings, all of your internet browser history, All of your evil thoughts, all of that will be presented as evidence on this day. And you say, what is the purpose of these books? Isn't the Lamb's book of life enough? I mean, we know that if your name's not found written in the Lamb's book of life, then you're going to be cast into the the lake of fire. Look at verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown or cast into the, into the lake of fire. So, so what are these books for? Well, there are two reasons, or two purposes for these books. First of all, it, reading from these books, opening these books, proves that God's just, uh, judgment is just. When these books are opened, the men that are standing there and everyone else that, that is that's observing the, the, the courtroom, will be shown that they're not worthy for heaven and they deserve exactly what's getting ready to happen. There's not going to be anybody up there saying, I was innocent, I was ignorant. And, and people are going to be thinking, wow, I don't know. Boy, that, that seems like a tough case. Not going to be anything like that going on in this moment. God's justice will be put on display for all to see because their wickedness will be put on display for all to see. Think of this morning. All of those who, who get away with their crimes will be exposed before all of, of heaven. There will be no arguing the case with God when, when the books are, are open. The only thing that a, a person will be able to do will be agree that they're guilty as charged. That's one reason. Establishes God's justice. Proves 
that this is a worthy judgment about to happen. God doesn't have to do that. The second reason for the books is to, is to determine the level of judgment that they receive. The level of judgment that they receive. Now, the Bible says that everyone who is a sinner and rejects the Lord Jesus Christ goes, will spend eternity in eternal torment. It's inarguable in Scripture. But the Bible also says that there are variations of punishments. And there are degrees of wickedness. Now, now don't ask me how to comprehend what's worse than hell. Any more than I can, I can help you comprehend how you're going to be rewarded in heaven whenever Jesus is the greatest reward and being in His presence is, is greater than, than anything. But the Bible clearly says that it will be worse for some on the day of judgment. And these books will help to delineate and determine those, those degrees, I believe. Everyone goes to hell. There's not purgatory and you can figure out how to get out of purgatory. Everyone goes into the lake of fire. But listen to Matthew 21, 24, 21 through 24. I don't know. Do I have that one up there, Matthew? Okay, I don't have that. Well, then turn back to Matthew 11. So a good thing about having a hard copy of the Bible, isn't it? Matthew 11, verse 20. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a generation that has rejected him. In verse 20, then he began to denounce the cities in which most of the miracles were done because they did not repent. And look at what Jesus says. Woe unto you, Chorazin. Woe unto you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that occurred in Tyre, that occurred in you in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say unto you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon, Gentile cities that are outside of the kingdom, in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in, had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, the majority of the miracles that Jesus did happened in Capernaum. If the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for, for you. These books will delineate some degree of, of punishment. All that will reject the Lord Jesus Christ will go to the lake of fire. There's no second chances. There's no other options. But based on the wickedness and the level of wickedness, there will be some distinction that, that is made. You and I were born, all human beings were born with the same depravity, the same corruption in us. 
But that corruption doesn't manifest to the same level. The same yeast is in the dough. And if you put that, you put that dough ball in the refrigerator, then it's not going to grow at the same level as if you put it on a porch banister at 90 degree heat. And here, all of that will be, will be laid bare and no one will escape this judgment. Look at Revelation 20 verse 13. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged. Again, every one of them according to their, to their deeds. And then once that is complete, the sentence will be delivered, and that's what God, uh, John sees next. The sentence is, is executed. They're standing... They hear the verdict, you're condemned, you're judged based on the facts, and then they're let out of the courtroom. Verse 14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown, hurled into the lake of fire. It's a summary judgment. All the dead, meaning physically, all who were in Hades were all cast into the lake of fire. The, the temporary place of punishment, hell, the grave, those are, who are dead, those who are in the grave. And this is described as the second death. And we've been warned of this place many times. I'll read Mark 9:44, but if you want to turn there, you can. If not, you can listen. Mark nine forty four. That's what Jesus was doing. He was warning not to go to this place when he was talking to Capernaum and Bethsaida and Chorazin. Mark nine forty four. It's the same words that Jesus echoes in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a warning not to be standing here on this day. Whosoever causes, in verse 42, one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone hung around his neck and he'd be cast into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, for it is better for you to inner life crippled than having two hands and go into into hell into unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life lame than having two feet to be cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. Pluck it out. It is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes and be cast into hell where their worm does not die. You're never consumed. There's no annihilation. Just as you are resurrected with a body fit for heaven, 
the wicked dead will be resurrected with a body fit for eternal fire. It will never be consumed. The worm will not die and the fire will not be quenched. This is a place of fire. This is a place of separation from God and all that is good. This is a place of solitary. It's a place of no light. It will be outer darkness. You're not going to go drink beer and play volleyball with your buddies in hell. It's not going to be George Burns smoking a, smoking a cigar. You're going to be alone. You're going to be in the dark. It's going to be a place of pain. There will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. No wonder these books are read to prove that it's, a, it's just for men to, to go there based on what they've done. This is a place men deserve to go for rejecting such a great and merciful God. Some people wonder how an eternal amount of time, an eternal punishment, is a just sentence for a finite creature. So you have 70 to 80 years, Moses says, and so for 70 to 80 years, you have sinned against God, and for that 70 to 80 years, what you get for that is a never-ending period of time. They say, that doesn't seem just, and, and you need to turn the binoculars around. You're, you're looking at, for 70 to 80 years, you've done this, and what you need to look at is who you sinned against you sinned against an infinite, perfect, and holy God who has no end. And because of that, there is an infinite, eternal judgment. That's just. Just as it will take a never-ending period of time to learn God and enjoy Him forever, as the Westminster Confession says, Take a never-ending period of time. You'll never plumb the depths of God's goodness and His grace and His mercy and His joy. It'll take a never-ending period of time. It will also take a never-ending period of time to be the just justice, the just judgment for human beings of rejecting such a merciful and wonderful Creator. This is a place that those who reject the Lord deserve to go, and yet it's a place that you don't want to go. So turn back to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15, and we'll close it out. It's not a place that you want to go, and just to be clear how you avoid this place, John reiterates who's, who's not going there. And if anyone's name was not found written in verse 15 in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. How do you avoid this place? Have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. How do you get your name written in the Lamb's book of life? The Bible says, repent and believe. Jesus Christ has accomplished everything that's necessary. And you turn to Him and trust Him. All of that eternal wrath and torment that's awaiting sinners in the lake of fire, the Lord Jesus Christ absorbed willingly on the cross. All of yours and all of everyone who would believe. And He proclaims salvation in His name for anyone. 
We'll turn to him. I want to close tonight in, in this way, different than we normally do. This is a, a weighty passage, isn't it? It is. And I'm going to ask that we close in, uh, in prayer tonight. I'm going to give you uh, some time to pray. You can do that where you're at. You can get up here, come up here and pray. You can do whatever you would like to do. But as you're listening to this, no doubt somebody comes to your mind that's not written in this book. And you can't control whether they'll believe. You can't control whether God will save them. That's, that's God's business, not yours. But as we said this morning, God answers prayer. He accomplishes His works through the means of prayer. And so, I want to close by praying, give you an opportunity to pray for them. And if you're here tonight, and you're sitting there going, nobody knows who I am or what I am other than God, and I don't want to go to this place, that's an opportunity for you to repent and believe as well. And I'd like you to do that right now. Just bow your heads and we'll, we'll pray. And then I'll close this out.